Welcome to the Talent Matters Podcast. Learn how to make the most of talent as a competitive advantage. Navigate today's fast-changing talent landscape and prepare now for the future of work. Here's your hosts, Brian Arzani and Jennifer Erickson. Well, excellent. We are excited to be back here with Talent Matters. I am your co-host, Brian Arzani. And I'm Jennifer Erickson. We are very excited today to be able to welcome uh, an individual that we have really been around and had a chance to work with for, I don't want to age us too much, but at least let's call it 10 years-ish. <laughs> so, uh, but we're super excited to be able to continue our discussions around talent, um, what senior executives have learned over their careers, uh, just different advice. And hopefully that as you're listening today, you might be able to pick up a nugget or two for yourselves. But without further ado, I'd like to introduce, uh, I, I call a friend and uh, just example of great leader, uh, Mr. Jeff Russell, president and CEO of Delta Dental of Iowa. So Jeff, thanks so much for coming on with us today. Yeah, thanks for allowing me to be on the show. Appreciate it. You bet, brother. Well, um, let's just get going right in here for the listeners, man. We don't waste time, and I know you don't you don't waste time either. So, just tell us a little bit about your career. Um, you know, how'd you get to where you're at today? Just give us a little synopsis on you. Yeah, it's always interesting when people ask me, like, how did I get to be where I am? I'm not exactly sure that uh, it wasn't sort of a long, strange trip. Uh, but the, uh, you know, I've always believed that experiences are more important than experience, and we can dig into that later if you'd like. So I'm a journalism graduate, which of course is the perfect uh, resume to run an insurance company. Uh, but uh, I thought when I was in school, I was going to go into politics and law and ran for the state legislature when I was 24. And the voters had a slightly different future for me than I had for myself. Uh, I lost that race, but uh, spent 20 years with a company called the Members Group and some affiliated companies uh, in the financial technology and payments business. Um, we started at about $7 million in revenue. And when I left, it was about $75 million. They sold it a few years ago. Um, but really an opportunity to go and do all kinds of things. Started in market research and marketing. Uh, my boss came to me and said, you know, we think technology is important and this thing called the internet is going to matter. And uh, would you be interested in leading that? So I can't program a line of code, but moved into technology. And then we started building products. So we had to formalize product development. And over time, I had operational and finance uh, responsibilities. And then in 2007, we decided uh, we were in the credit card and debit card business, and we decided to spin out a company that would buy credit card assets. So our business was in the processing side in the members group, and we spun out a company. Uh, so I took that on as employee number one. And we grew it from no assets to about $135 million in assets uh, through the Great Recession. Not the world's greatest time to buy credit cards. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we survived that and made the Inc. 500 in, in 2012. Um, and I was having a great time. Uh, I was doing what I love to do. And, uh, you know, relationships in the world matter. And I had built a relationship with the then CEO of Delta Dental of Iowa. We just would get together and talk. He was a really smart guy. He was a really smart guy. And uh, so uh, he announced his retirement right in the end of 2012. And I called him up and I said, Don, you're a chicken. You're going to leave before the Affordable Care Act comes. I mean, it's the biggest disruption in your business in you know, a generation. <laughs> Despite the fact I insulted him, a recruiter called and I said, you know, I know nothing about 
dental insurance, right? I've been a customer, but I'm, I'm not an insurance executive. And our board was really focused on the future of how do we communicate better with our members, consumers, and how do we leverage this digital transformation to revolutionize our business, things that I had done in the past. So in 2013, I came over to Delta Dental of Iowa, uh, and uh, it's been a great opportunity to work with some fantastic people for a great company and uh, you know, just continue to try and learn every day and uh, you know, have new experiences. You know, I think it's so cool. You know, we, we, so much discussion today around education and how important it is that kids are taught certain specific skills so that they can be successful in the market. And I, we're similar in age. And I think back to, you know, how did the education of the late seven, maybe seventies, eighties prepare you to be able to be running a technology organization when the, we, we didn't, we, I remember when the Commodore 64 came out, you know, and we're like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, we can make X's and O's on a, on a screen, you know, but I had, a, I had a TI. So, uh, yeah, Texas Instruments, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'll, not so much that, but I'll talk about my journalism education because people say, well, how did, you know, being a journalism major prepare you to, to run an insurance company and do technology. But you think about the, you know, I was a newspaper editorial major. They don't even have that major anymore. Uh, but, uh, you know, the idea is, is every day you woke up and you got an assignment for a new story that probably about something you knew nothing about. And you had to find the right resources. You had to ask good questions. You had to gather kind of both sides of the facts. You had to organize the information from the most important to the least important. You had to communicate it clearly. And I use those skills every day. And so uh, I think that, you know, it's a, it was a great background. I think the, the piece that's interesting is this idea about you have to sort of pigeonhole yourself into whether it's an educational path or, you know, youth sports, I got to, you know, specialize on a sport. And I think over time, yeah, this idea of experiences and having broad experience, you know, uh, you know, matters in this world. Yeah. Because I think that we don't know what's going to happen. I think the only thing we know is that it's going to change. And so our adaptability is really important in that world. And my background in journalism at Drake uh, really helped me uh, do that. And like I said, I use it every day. I love it. I so love it. I want to hear more about the statement you made, because um, that's a statement after my own heart. I believe the same thing. Experiences are more important than experience. Yeah. So I really believe that this broad based um, background is important in leadership. And so, you know, sometimes, you know, people can get in these ladders, right? I start as an entry level X and then I move to a, a supervisor and then a manager and then a director and then a vice president. And then if I want to move on, maybe I have the right experiences, experience to be a CEO or, or president. Um, you know, when I took over technology in 98, 99 for the members group, um, I think the percentage of uh, Fortune 500 CEOs that had been CIOs or CTOs was like 2%. Like nobody would go into technology and then become a CEO. And wow. now it turns out that what people want is folks with digital transformation technology experience, right? And being able to lead large scale impacts as we continue to be a more digital society. So I think the idea of having those experiences to draw on um, makes uh, people better leaders because not only can they empathize more with you know, varying parts of the organization, but they also think about things holistically and across rather than in sort of a silo. And so, you know, I encourage our folks to, um, whether they might, they might not change jobs or they might not have a new title, but to explore things that are not necessarily in their, their wheelhouse, you know, professionally. And that's both in their, in the job and outside of your job. Right. 
go volunteer for an organization that, uh, you know, where you get a different type of experience with a you know small nonprofit. And now all of a sudden you're trying to figure out how to make payroll versus if you work for a larger company, that's probably not something you worry about. Excellent. So let's, let's tell our listeners a little bit about Den- Delta Dental of Iowa. You know, how large are you? How long has it been around? That sort of stuff. So Delta Dental of Iowa was founded in 1970. Uh, We were prepared to celebrate our 50th anniversary with a big splash in this thing called COVID hit in March of uh, 2020. So uh, Uh, we had our 15 year anniversary that same time, Rob. But yeah, yeah. we felt, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so started in 1970, we're part of a national uh, group uh, where there's an affiliate in every state. Uh, we're independently run and managed, but we, we all are part of a, a common federation. Uh, we serve about 3,800 Iowa businesses, 1.5 million members. We, we do both work in the commercial side, so group and individual, but we also do work with the state of Iowa uh, for Medicaid and for Hawkeye. Um, we now are in the, uh, we've been in the vision insurance business for about 10 years and have been growing that business and uh, recently announced a partnership with ARAG to offer legal and identity protection insurance with the idea that people buy our products because they want to improve the health and wellness of themselves and their family. And so the idea of just being a dental company or just being a vision company, I don't think makes sense in this world. I think we have to look at what do our customers want uh, to protect that. And, and wellness has now moved beyond this idea of, of physical wellness. Obviously, we've had lots of conversation about emotional well-being over the last you know eighteen months or so, and uh, you know now financial wellness continues to be an important part. So that's really about our organization. We're based here uh, in the Des Moines area, and um, have enjoyed serving Iowa as being one of the leading uh, leading dental insurance companies, and now hopefully one of the leading health and wellness companies. How many employees do you guys have now? About 175. So we're a pretty lean shop for a million and a half members. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's the leverage of technology that allows you to do that uh, and, and be able to do that to provide that personalized experience without necessarily having to have, you know, boards uh, of folks that, uh, you know, that, that answer the phone every day. We work with companies of all sizes. And one of the common questions we get is, how many HR folks do I need? Or do I even need an HR department? When should I have an HR department? So how big is your HR department for 175 employees? So our HR department's all of the three people. I don't even think it's three FTEs. We have a recruiter that works uh, part-time. They do a great job. Um, You know, and I think the the challenge in an organization, I'll call it mid-sized organization, is, you know, you have the administrative components of human resources. You know, you got to make payroll and you got to do benefits and you got to hire people and you got to deal with the employee kinds of issues. But really focusing on the development side of the house. And so we've tried to spend a lot of time, where can we build partnerships, relationships, automation around the administrative tasks and have our people think more about how are we investing in our people? How are we attracting and retaining the best folks? um, And uh, and then how can we make this a great place to work? Well, talking about attracting and retaining and developing, how has the the talent market really changed in your opinion, Jeff, Hmm. um, over the course of your time there? Well, I, I think we are right now in a, what I've talked about internally is a new world of work. I don't think we know where this is all going to end up. You know, I remember conversations in the mid 2000s of sort of the war on talent and this is going to happen. And my sense of that is that might have been delayed with the, the great recession, the financial crisis of 2008. The baby boomers worked a little longer because their retirement accounts went from 401ks to 201ks. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so, you know, that happened. But I think what's changed right now is 
talent management, if you want to call it that, but you know, the ability to, to get great people and, and help them grow has really become personalized. Uh, one of my favorite books is uh, Sacred Hoops by Phil Jackson, the uh, coach of the Chicago Bulls, later the coach of the uh, Los Angeles Lakers. Um, and you know, he talked about how he treated every player on that team different, right? I mean, obviously Michael Jordan, you know, possibly the greatest player of all time, Scottie Pippen, one of the top 50 players of all time, all the way down to Dennis Rodman, right? Very interesting player, (laughs) how you had to treat him differently than somebody like BJ Armstrong who played at Iowa. And so I think that that idea of personalization in that, um, you know, we don't want to be numbers, right? I think that's why people come to work for small and mid-sized organizations. They don't want to feel like they're a cog in the wheel. And so we've got to move from an environment of having policies to having frameworks. Um, that people can work their way into. And I really think that that's, you know, I don't know how this is all going to turn out. If we looked down back for five years from now, uh, we'll go, of course, that was going to be what happens. But I think that we're still in this place right now where the idea um, is everybody shows up on a daily basis, I think, wanting to do the best thing. If you don't, if you don't have that, you've got a management issue. But for the most part, people show up and want to do the right thing. And we have a responsibility on the other side to say, does my work have purpose and meaning? And how do we provide that? And part of that's your mission. But part of that's about how do I feel like I'm growing as an individual? And, um, and what, uh, what I want is different than what somebody else wants. And so we've got to think about things, I think, in terms of a framework rather than a policy. So we're sitting here almost at the end of 2021. What is a talent initiative you're looking at implementing in 2022? So I think we continue to think about this in a really holistic perspective. Um, you know, I'd say two things are, are interesting to me. One is we continue our focus on diversity, and and that's not just diversity in sort of the traditional demographic perspectives, but diversity of thought. Um, and that's a talent initiative for us because you know I think we've got to find new ponds to fish in. I think if everybody's fishing in the same pond, it's hard to catch fish. And I think we've got to take a look at different places to do that. Um, and ironically, I'd say the second thing is, is that we're focused on benefits uh, for our employees. We, you know, it's as a benefit company, and we were having this conversation the other day, it's like, you know, historically, uh, an HR belief could be, oh, I don't want people just to come work here for the benefits, right? Um, but yet they're a super important part of create attracting and retaining folks. We know that in terms of our business, um, we spend a, a lot of money comparatively to salary and our benefits and lots of companies do. So how do we make sure that we are um, crafting those benefit options for our employees in a way that makes the most sense? I mean, I'll use this legal insurance example that we're now partnering. We first became a customer and I, and I have to tell you, I was a little skeptical of the, the legal insurance business. I didn't really understand it. And um, so uh, a number of our folks convinced me we should offer it. I'm like, okay, that's fine. And I had one of our uh, probably most entry-level people, uh, she worked in the mailroom, come up to me and she said, thank you so much for offering that. I just had a baby. I knew I needed to get a will. I never would have done it if I didn't have this policy. And sort of the light bulb came out of my mind, oh. which is like, okay, how do we help people through our benefit package, you know, live their best life, essentially, right? Part of that's about the time they spend here in the office, but how do we help, you know, do things uh, differently? We talk about retirement programs all the time, you know, about saving for retirement. We talk about health and wellness through, you know, our traditional benefits, but how do we do it? So we're going to take a look at that, I think, in 2022 and say, are we, are we still leading in that world? Because our customers expect us to be able to lead in that so we can show them as a pilot. When we went out and talked about our legal partnership, we'd had two and a half years worth of experience and we could tell them, hey, 
this is how it worked in our organization. So I think that's probably one of the big things that we'll think about in, uh, in 2022 is what does that benefit package of the future look like and how do we help be a part of that? Um, looking back, what's one of the biggest talent obstacles? So you came in 2013 um, in the last you know eight years, if you were to look back, what's been the biggest obstacle you've had to overcome? How'd you do it? I don't, I'd say an obstacle, but you know, when I came in here in 2013, um, so I'm a strategy guy, right? I spent most of my life in strategy and product. Um, and I believe the, the Peter Drucker quote that, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And so when I came here, the, you know, I looked on the wall and our mission, and I think our mission at that point in time was something like to improve the oral health of Iowans. I'm like, well, we sell vision insurance, so that's beyond oral health. And we serve people outside of Iowa because our customers, people like Hy-Vee and Come and Go and Casey's have folks all over you know, the, the Midwest and the country. Um, how is it that that mission is going to fulfill what we need to do? And so we spent some time sort of re-articulating our mission and values. Our mission, by the way, is to improve the health and the smiles of the people we serve. A little wink and a nod to our dental business, but really the, the idea of a, of a health and wellness company. And then really focus on our values. And so I would say not the obstacle, but the opportunity was to say, okay, we had come at that point in time, what, 40 some years to into a great place, but we needed to reinvent ourselves for the next 40 or 50 years. And to do that, we had to have a cultural foundation big enough to do that. And so, you know, a lot of that then was about how do you talk about the culture? How do you live the culture? I remember one person said to me, hey, this is the third time we've you know reinvented our values since I've been here in six years. And I'm like, well, I can't tell you I'm going to put it in granite <laughs> on the front of the building, but I'm not, you're not going to have three of them in six years. And we haven't changed one word in eight and a half. Um, so I think the... <laughs> I, I think the uh, the idea there then is is that you know companies have cultures whether the the ones they you know write down on a piece of paper or put up on the wall or whether it's the informal culture that happens and so how do you live the culture you want to live intentionally and I think that's been the the biggest opportunity and our team has embraced that um, when I have a chance to interview folks uh, for new uh, new positions I. Um, I often talk about our mission and values and they've said, oh yeah, people have talked to me about these things, which makes me feel good that it's not just, uh, you know, me sitting here trying to do that, but it's really, I think, permeated our organization. Well, I think it's cool too. One thing you'd, I, we've observed is that you did a complete office remodel and you went to a much more of an open, I mean, you can you literally see pods of people in a hallway with a whiteboard marker writing on your walls. I mean, that's talk about that a little bit, how you led your organization through that and how has that contributed to your culture? Yeah, having an open architecture was fantastic until we had a pandemic. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, um, before I got here, they had they had. Uh, done quite a bit of work around this. And um, we had, we were, we've been growing so fast that we had to add a big piece to our building, you know, after four or five years of having a quote unquote new building. But really the idea is, is uh, how do you foster collaboration? How do you create these sort of spontaneous connections? Um, and we try to do that with our physical infrastructure, uh, you know, so that you actually have to walk by people and it's like, oh, I need to talk to Brian. I need to talk to Jennifer. And those things happen in the hallway. In fact, it's one of the things that we're now trying to reinvent in a hybrid world is how do you make those happen when not everybody's in the office because that's oh, a totally part of our culture and so you know so our conference rooms which you know now are in, enabled with lots of technology to be able to facilitate that but all of our walls are writable and you know the the best ideas i think happen when people are building on top of those ideas and we get cross-functional people together our value of one team how do you get people together and not just siloed and so i think that has become important and now our challenge is okay We've all learned the value of flexibility. 
that can come from technology and you know being able to be at home. And we've got folks um, who are who are now hybrid in lots of different ways. How do we reinvent that collaboration that happens in a physical environment when we're not in a physical environment completely? I love it. It's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. Yeah, and I think we're in the early innings of this. I mean, I think that you know the you know there's a, there's a lot of conversation. You know, I tell a story that uh, one of my executives, you know, in, in his uh, performance review, which was February of 2020, said, hey, what do you think about me working from Florida for a couple weeks a year? And I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. You know, I'm not sure that's <laughs> going to really work itself out. And then a, then a month later, we sent everybody home for eight weeks and, and we, we kind of brought people back to the office early on a voluntary basis. But I think what we've learned is the flexibility matters. Uh, and I believe that we are better together, uh, that there's something around collaboration, that in-person work uh, maybe it optimizes, maybe it doesn't, maybe, I mean, you can do it remote, remotely. It's just more difficult. You have to be more intentional about it. And so um, now I think we're trying to figure out what's the right way for us to implement this new world. And I think it'll probably, I told our team yesterday, I think it'll probably change three, four or five times in the next few years as we learn what the right patterns are. Yeah. I think it's, it's such an amazing time just in every organization. I, mean, I think organizations are going to get displaced over the next couple, th- two, three, four years, because they're, inability to consider alternative paradigms and alternative work structures and all of those things that I, I having been on a school board for 13 years, I watched, you know, the educational <laughs> systems a from ours and others, how right. uh, we call them lifelong learners. And if you look at Dr. Dweck's definition of lifelong learner, it's lifelong struggle, embracing the, the unknown and uh, you know, whether you're forced to do it or choose to do it is, uh, you know, and one of the things, you know, I really do have a belief now that we're better together and that there's, you know, that the value of in-person collaboration is important. And the question I've been asking myself recently about a lot of things is, well, what if I'm wrong, you know? And so, uh, you know, what does it look like to build a culture if you're fully remote? What does it look like? You know, will people at some point in time say, I love the flexibility, but I I now want to be back in the office more. So I'm not sure that we know how it's going to come out. And I think the struggle is a great one because we just did a pulse survey for our team and, uh, you know, we asked the question of sort of how is work from home in our hybrid environment going? And uh, I can tell you, we have plenty of diversity of thought in our organization. Right now. So, <laughs> so we have people who would like to be in the, have everybody in the office hundred percent of the time. We'd like to have people who are hundred percent remote. Uh, you know, we think that uh, we have core days where we have everybody in the office Mondays and Wednesdays. People love core days, people hate, hate core days. And my message to our team is, well, just hang on. We're going to keep working through this. I don't think this is the end of the story. We're going to find a groove through this. Um, but that could be 12, 18, 24 months down the road. Yeah. And I, I just want to say something real quick. I know you're not a, a fan of receiving compliments, but I think it's so cool to have a CEO say, you know, say out loud and let others hear that you do self-interrogate and, and introspectively reflect and go, man, I, I'm all in, but I also am very cognizant to ask that question of myself. What if I'm wrong? So I appreciate that. I just wanted to take a second to just know it. I think it's pretty cool. So looking back over your career, both uh, at TMG and at Delta Dental, what is one talent initiative that you pulled the trigger on that didn't go so well, maybe wasn't a success and what'd you learn from it? Yeah. So when I was at TMG, I led technology and we were growing our technology organization. You know, I think I started and there were three of us. And I think by the time I ended, there were 50 of us in that time. And I really wanted to align our organization, our technology organization towards, you know, 
basically shipping code, if you think about that, you know, products for our customers and doing all that. And so we didn't really have a defined incentive plan, bonus plan within TMG. It was a little bit subjective at that point in time. And so I built a uh, full uh, incentive plan, you know, got the funding for it, did all, you know, worked through our executive team and launched it. And I have to tell you, I don't know that half of our team, no matter how much I communicated about it, knew about it or cared. And it was, it was not an insignificant number. It could be 10% of your salary. And um, what I learned about that is, is that my motivators, what matters to me, goal achievement, being able to be aligned, aren't everybody else's. And and you know, and it, it was uh, it was a little bit of an expensive learning process, but uh, you know, I, I talk about tuition. It was, it was it was a good year's worth of tuition. But uh, the, uh, you know, the idea of that was is that you know, I as a manager early in my career, I thought that everybody else looked like me and wanted to want you know was motivated by the same things. And, and going back to that concept of talent is personalized. I think the, the the opportunity there for me was to realize that everybody has different motivators and. So we have to be able to build programs because you can't have, you know, compensation policies for each individual. We have to build programs that people can fit into and feel like they can fulfill their purpose and that they're motivated by whatever they're motivated by somewhere in our process. I love it. I love that's That's awesome. So in that same vein, how do you currently um, determine if someone's going to be a good fit uh, within your organization today? So probably one of my most important jobs is to make sure that we have the right people here. Um, and so for a while, when I first came here, I interviewed every single candidate for every single job in the company uh, for probably the first 18 months. And it wasn't because I didn't trust people. It was because if we were going to change the culture, I needed to make sure that we had the right people from a cultural perspective on our team. And I just come here. And so I knew it was a big deal to change jobs. And so I wanted to make sure that people knew that the company we were going to be probably didn't look like the company we were. In fact, at one point in time, I, I said to our team, I said, you know, it was about 18 months. And I said, if this doesn't look like the company that you used to work for, it's because it's not. And, you know, we're changing. Nice. So that's a strong, that's, that's strong, man. So it, it's, you know, but people like, you know, there's, there's a bit of loss that people have because it was, it was a good company to begin with. So I don't mean to say that there, this wasn't a turnaround by any stretch of the imagination, but we were faced with new challenges that we hadn't been faced with. I mean, the Affordable Care Act and changing the marketplace and all that. So um, what I do today is I still do interview most management supervisor levels and above. Uh, we're not a big enough company that I, I can't do that. And mostly it's all about culture. And my job is not to interview somebody, if they're a technology person, for how great their technology skills are, if they're a salesperson, how great their sales skills are. Although I have, I have opinions on that, as you can imagine. Uh, but it's really about trying to, to look for cultural fit and then to help the hiring manager with anything that might be a blind spot. Because when you're a hiring manager, there's a hole, right? You're trying to fill a hole because now you're doing two jobs lots of times. And so that, and then I'd say the other thing that we look at a lot is we talk about hiring for and one. So can I do this job and one more? And that doesn't necessarily mean one above it, but am I talented enough? Is this candidate talented enough to do some of the job in the organization? Uh, you know, because most of the time, our opportunities are not limited by capital. I mean, sometimes, right? But most of the time they're limited by talent. Do you have the right people? 
to be able to lead these projects through. And so oftentimes we have to pull people off of a, a bench, quote unquote, that, you know, the, some job they're doing today, and we're going to put them in a different job because I believe experiences are important. And, you know, do they have the capability to shift? And so that's kind of really what I think about when I'm interviewing in that sense, but um, it gives me a chance to interact with people. And, and I, you know, I, in eight years, I've probably said no to two people. So it's not like that happens, but I try and give people feedback about, Hey, this is what I'm seeing as the CEO. And I'm, I'm not looking for the shameless plug, but you also, we've worked with you for a long, long time in terms yeah. of um, objectively, you know, gathering yeah. data on candidates. Yeah. Just yeah. talk yeah. briefly about how that plays in. Yeah. So, you know, we've used uh, a lot of those assessment tools uh, for, for quite a while. I, I used them at TMG and you guys helped us there and then, then here at Delta Dental. And I think the question is, is it, it focuses the questions that we need to ask. And it helps us with the areas we need to explore, particularly in, in areas around sales in particular. And, and you, you know this, I've joked with you. The one time I said, I didn't listen to your opinion. It wasn't a very good hire for me back at TMG. Uh, and so- You have no idea how good that makes me feel. <laughs> so, so, you, uh, you know, so, sorry, you, you might not, you not, might not be able to get him out of the office. His head might get a little big here. But, uh, <laughs> but, no, but I think that, you know, but the idea is, is that you're using objective data and you're using subjective data, right? And um, yeah. for everybody who thinks that hiring is a completely objective process, I don't believe that. And everybody thinks it's a subjective process, I don't believe that. But the question is, is, you know, how do you understand, especially if it's an external candidate, right? You know, you might have three, four, five, six interactions with them at best. And how do you really know? And how do you start to get to the thing of, you know, how do they you know, how do they act when the chips are down? How do they act when you know, things aren't going their way? How do they act when things are going their way? And so I think those assessments have been really helpful for us. So let's talk about the process for promotion within Delta Dental of Iowa. Do you, um, how do you, how do you make that happen? Do you like to promote from within? Do you like to promote, you know, just go out and find new people? What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I, I love it when we can promote from within. I think there's also a balance of making sure we get new ideas and new talent in. So there's this balance of that. Um, but, you know, our goal is to be able to say to somebody, you know, there are going to be opportunities. And again, they might not be on a ladder, right? You might move from X job and go laterally and a little bit up over another job and then back to a different job. And, and uh, you know, if you looked at it from the outside and, you know, your traditional career planning, people would be like, what are you doing? But I think it's really about exposing people to different parts of our organization, because again, I found our best leaders have broad experiences and, uh, and they can do that. So we're trying to, to do that. Um, when we end up in interviews, it's funny. I was, I was thinking about um, somebody who, who really recently was just promoted from an individual contributor into a leader role and, I had an interview with him. It was, you know, half hour, 45 minutes, whatever it was. And I said to him, I'm like, Hey, you know what? It, this will be an interesting conversation. And mostly I want you to talk to me because you've been interviewing for the last three years. Like every day you showed up, you interviewed. Right. And so it's about track record at some level. Um, and I think our internal folks, you know, people who can deliver and people who fit with the culture, people who are good to work with, um, you know, can find a, a career path. And, uh, you know, there are folks that just want to do what they do and do it really, really well every day. And so we help. We try and provide paths for them to take on more responsibility within their area and earn more money and have broader scope. And there are people who want to lead people and do other things. And we want to make sure that, that we're respectful of both. When I was in technology, you know, I made the classic mistake of taking your best programmer and making them a manager. And, uh, you know, that wasn't, uh, that didn't work out very well. And so you're really trying to say, how is it that you, um, you know, give people opportunities to do that? But, uh, you know, we love it when, when our people um, take on new responsibilities and become bigger leaders in our organization. 
No, I think it's it's been really cool to watch and observe how you've navigated that because you've had some individual contributors move into leader roles and then helped them through understanding them kind of make almost a horizontal, even, even a backwards move, but make it a positive thing. Keep, I mean, that's that's something I think a lot of CEOs, a lot of presidents right now know that they've got leaders in roles that maybe that's not ideal and they don't want to lose them, but the best place for them might be to take a step back and back isn't bad. Back yeah. isn't a failure. Back is what's best for the organization, I think. And you've you've done some pretty cool things with that. Um, just talk through that. That's a, that's a different I, I, culture. I think our, and I think our people are open to that. Um, you know, when I was uh, at TMG, there was a, a customer we worked with and they sort of would just, it was a credit union. They would just randomly move their executives into new areas. And I was like, well, that's pretty bold, right? So today, <laughs> I, today I ran, you know, marketing and now I'm going to run branch operations and, you know, but they probably had the, the most, um, firmly held belief that that was important. And, you know, I watched some of those work and some of them not work, you know, from afar, right? I wasn't in the, in the day to day on that. And I think what you, you find is that, you know, if you, if somebody's in a role and you're moving into a role and they're not succeeding, the question is, is, was it the wrong job or is it the wrong person? And sometimes it can be the right person in the wrong job. And, you know, early, early in my career, I hired a, a, a woman in marketing, uh, brand new college grad, fantastic, super bright, great resume, tons of work in her college. And, and, you know, I thought she was going to be a superstar and she was a disaster. And, you know, 18 months later, we had to, to move her somewhere else and, or to let her go and, and have her find a new future. She found another job and she is a superstar. And so, you know, some of those times you're just in the wrong role. And so if we can find the right role in our organization that fits that person's talents, um, given that they're the right person, we want to do that. And there are times that it's the wrong person and you got to make that call too. But, um, and, and candidly, sometimes people can be resistant to that. And luckily, I think, I don't know if it's our culture or the people we've hired or whatever, they've been open to those conversations of saying, yeah, maybe, you know what, like when you wake up in the morning, do you really love to come to work and do what you're doing? Eh, not really. I feel like I'm maybe not in the right spot. Okay. Well then let's talk about that. Let's figure out what it is the right spot. And, you know, and over time, you know, everybody's been through these situations where sometimes that's, you help somebody find a different opportunity outside the organization, but we would prefer to find the right opportunity inside the organization. Well, you know, in my opinion, when you, when you do that for somebody, you're giving them the greatest gift that you can give them because nine times out of 10, they were offered the job and thought that, or wanted the job and thought that was their only next step within the organization. They're a great and loyal employee. So even though they're sucking at doing what they're doing, they're going to remain doing it out of loyalty for the company. Yeah. I, I tell people life is too short to suffer where you work. So it's like, if you wake up and you know, you dread going to work, we got to have a different conversation. So well, let's- yeah, well, I, I just, I love what you said about the end one. Um, and that's, that's a unique culture because and I know, I know that um, Delta Dental in and of itself as, as a company, you run very lean. Um, you, you don't have people that just sit around and, you know, they're doing what, I mean, it's, it's all of their duties as assigned and that's just the culture of the organization. I think that's pretty exciting. So when you talk, when you think about that, and I think that in and of itself may answer the question I'm thinking about right now, but you know, what is, do you guys have like an official or a, documented engagement program or how do you how do you discuss and keep engagement top of mind for your leaders and HR? What's that look like? 
So, you know, I think a little bit of employee engagement, like I think about innovation, if it's a department or an initiative, it's not part of your culture. So if you're not thinking about it in every part of your business, it's not, it's just this thing that sits over here. Right. And, you know, I, I, from an innovation perspective, you know, when times are bad, the first thing that gets cut is the innovation team. Right. So, um, you know, but from an employee engagement perspective, and I start with the concept that, you know, when I interview folks, uh, one of them, uh, oftentimes they come from much larger organizations, Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies, and they're really interested in coming to a mid-sized company because they want to make a difference. And I always say to them, well, here's the good and the bad news is you can make a difference here, but if you don't, nobody else will. Right? There's no, no, there's no place to hide here, right? So we need wow, people to like be- that. you know, That's powerful. We need people to contribute. And so then the conversation around employee engagement is how do we make that part of our everyday conversation? And um, you know that looks different for different people, right? Uh, But at the end of the day, I think everybody wants to wake up in the morning and feel like what they do makes a difference, that they have purpose in what they do. And whether that purpose is about my own growth and development, whether it's I feel great at the end of the day because I've helped improve the health and smiles of a whole bunch of people by serving them today, whether that's about I've gotten this initiative over the line and I can see how it's doing well for my coworkers and for our customers and the organization. So I think part of that is around how do you just keep it you know, top of mind every time. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do things around employee engagement surveys and some other things, leadership development, all that type of thing. But I really think that when you think about it as a program, I think it's different than when you think about it as part of who you are. I, I like that. that. Yeah. So talking about self-development, because you did bring that up, mm-hmm. what are you doing for yourself to keep you passionate about what you do on a daily basis? So I'm a Brian, I'll tell you this for sure. I'm a curious person. I like to learn things. So I like the idea of the continual struggle. Uh, I'll tell you about that in a second. But um, so, I, you know, so I love to read. I love to, you know, get involved in things. When uh, I was the founding chairman of the Global Insurance Accelerator here locally, uh, but now works, you know, it's the first, uh, world's first insurance, insure tech accelerator. We bring in companies from all over the world, insurance companies all over the United States participate. Um, and that's really, that, that gives me energy around working with entrepreneurs because if you think about their world, it's a race against insolvency, right? They're trying to, you know, when they, when they want to set up a meeting, like in our world, it's like, well, I can meet next Friday and they want to meet like at one o'clock. And so, uh, you know, because they have this urgency of I got to get going. And I think that, you know, we've we've tried to bring that into our organization to them and have people mentor because I think it gives people a different feel for how does an entrepreneur think about things. Um, and then recently, um, because I'm terrible at golf uh, and I love wine, I decided <laughs> to launch a winery, uh, an Oregon winery with a great friend and now business partner who lives in the Willamette Valley. And uh, we make Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. And so I have come to, uh, to learn the uh, opportunities and challenges of a small business uh, of, uh, you know, and retail and how that works. Uh, I was working, my wife does marketing and we were working uh, uh, over the lunch hour one day on, on the website and the, the technology people, there were some challenges with that. Uh, they hung up the, the Zoom and, and she and I were on and I'm like, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to go run my big business this afternoon. Why don't you run my small business? Because it's, like, you know, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder, right? So, uh, so you know, I, I've, but I think that that's, you know, the people say, well, don't you have enough to do? And the answer is yes. Um, but it's really been an interesting way for me to learn a different piece of a different industry, retail, small business, uh Liquor and alcohol, wine is a very regulated business. Makes insurance look easy, uh, and uh, so it's been it's been fun to do, and it, it keeps me engaged. That's awesome. So, 
just selflessly plug it. I mean, how can, if, if somebody's listening, going, Ooh, yeah. I love Pinot Noir, just give, throw it out there. So, so this is what I'm how terrible about, some? right? So I'm terrible about the self-promotion. So Catalyst Ridge Wines, uh, if you can go, go to www.catalyst.wine and uh, you can buy it online. You can buy it here in the Des Moines market. If you're, uh, if you're local at places like Gateway Market, Wine Styles up here in Johnston, uh, Embassy Club has it uh, as well as Glen Oaks. So uh, we'll be expanding more. I, I said uh, to somebody, you know, whatever a boutique winery is, we're below that, a micro boutique boutique or uh, ultra boutique. We're still, uh, you know, we're, I, I believe in the business world, uh, the Jim Collins thing of shoot bullets and cannonballs. So we started small to try and figure out how to do that, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll grow a little bit. It won't ever get too big. It's still, uh, it's still a hobby for Mark and I, uh, but uh, it's been fun, but Catalyst Ridge Wines. So I, I got to get better at that. I, so I did that the other day. I talked about it and somebody said, you didn't even tell us the name of the brand, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're learning, man. You're learning. I got you. So, Hey, you mentioned sacred hoops. What other like book um, for our listeners or what podcasts, anybody anything like that, that you, uh, you, you know, tap into for uh, some personal stuff. So I'm a big fan of Farnham Street, uh, Shane Parrish, uh, fs.blog. Uh, he, uh, you know, Farnham Street is where Berkshire Hathaway is in Omaha. So he's, a, he was a huge, uh, mostly Charlie Munger fan as much as, as Warren Buffett. Um, and it's grown into an interesting learning community. Uh, he has a podcast called the knowledge project that, uh, you know, they're, they're really long format ones. They're like hour and a half hour 30 or hour 15 minutes. And so he really goes deep with some interesting folks around that. And, and I enjoy that, um, on the podcast side, um, on the book side, uh, you know, I, I like biographies. I like, you know, cause I think I learn from other people's stories. And so I read, I read a lot of that, you know, on the business side, I think my, you know, this is an older book, but, uh, you know, Tom Friedman's Thank You for Being Late. I mean, I love The World is Flat, and kind of the seminal book that he wrote, but uh, Thank You for Being Late about the impact of technology and the, the inflection point in 2008, and then how do we need to think about the world. So, uh, but I read a lot of blogs and, and newspapers and uh, and that. So it's, uh, it's, it's always good. And I try and read things that are outside of my bubble. So, um, you know, what, what are things, you know, in an era where we used to fly, how do you pick up a, a magazine at the airport that you wouldn't necessarily read and, uh, and get a sense of somebody else's point of view? Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. These are always fun. I always learn something in them. And thanks for having me on and for what you do. I've, uh, I, I should have plugged your podcast because I've listened to that as well. Uh, but, uh, but for those of you listening, you already know that how great it is. So. Oh, thank you, Jeff. It is it's a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Incredibly valuable. Um, and if anybody wants to connect with you out there, you're probably on LinkedIn. Absolutely. Um, yep. Yeah. Awesome. So Jeff Russell, uh, Delta Dental of Iowa. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful uh, rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon, brother. Thanks so much. All right. And we'll hear the rest of you guys on our next one. We'll talk to you later.